Welcome to Amplify, the Revolution Her podcast, dedicated to uplifting, empowering, and amplifying women's voices globally. Our community is a powerful collective of women who are ready to live the lives they always dreamed they would. Together, our strength as a collective of inspiring and ambitious women is truly unstoppable. I'm Maria Locker, founder and CEO of Revolution Her. And I am your co-host, Grace Moore's founding partner of Revolution Her. And today we're talking about using your emotions as your superpower with Carolyn Stone. Carolyn Stern, author of The Emotionally Strong Leader, is the president and CEO of EI Experience, an executive leadership development and emotional intelligence training firm. She's a certified emotional intelligence and leadership development expert, professional speaker, and university professor whose emotional intelligence courses and modules have been adopted by top universities across North America. She's also provided comprehensive training programs to business leaders across the continent in highly regarded corporations encompassing industries such as technology, finance, manufacturing, advertising, education, healthcare, government, and food service. We have so much to talk about today about being emotionally strong leaders. Please help us welcome Carolyn Stern. Hi, Carolyn. Hi there. Hi, ladies. Thanks for having me. Ah, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're in Vancouver. It's nice and early there for you. So um, we have so much that we are thrilled to talk to you about today. You've piqued our interest with your book on emotional intelligence. We feel we are definitely emotionally strong leaders, um, and we're really excited to talk about it. So let's start by discussing how you came to be on this journey and why you're passionate about the ins and outs of emotional intelligence. Okay, so for many decades... Um, my emotions ran a havoc in my life with a laundry list of undesirable consequences. But just because I'm an emotional person doesn't mean that I'm weak. And not paying, you know, not paying attention to and understanding and managing my emotions is what was ruining my world. Not that I felt and still feel things very deeply and strongly. And so The very first thing that I say in the book is you can be emotional and strong. They're not mutually exclusive. And what I want to teach people is I'm emotional. And what that means is I feel things very deeply. So when I'm passionate, I'm really passionate. And when you hurt me, I hurt to the core. But I'm also a badass businesswoman. (laughs) I love it. I, I, uh, I can... It it just took me, and and this has been 20 years of research, it took me 20 years to be in the driver's seat of my emotions. And I still feel things very deeply. And and nine out of 10 times, I am driving my emotions rather than they driving me. And so I think since the days of my childhood, um, you know, I slowly came to learn that emotions are not the enemy, nor are they a sign of weakness, Right. To me, demonstrating vulnerability, speaking my truth, uh, telling others how I how I really feel, that's my superpower. And I think oh we've God. been hoodwinked all these years to believing that our emotions are dirty and expressing them is a shameful act. I think nothing could be further from the truth. 
Yeah, I love I love that, and especially being British and from the UK, you know, we're often told to hide our emotions or not show our emotions. So, can you maybe delve into a little bit, little bit more about what is an emotionally strong leader and and what makes them a, a strong leader, an even stronger leader? Well, an emotionally strong leader um, is someone who has high emotional intelligence. And what does that mean? Yeah. That means that you are intelligent about your emotions. So let me ask you ladies something. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably on a regular basis feel frustrated mm-hmm. and you probably feel angry <laughs> yeah. on a regular basis. My question to you is what's the difference between anger and frustration? I will jump in. I know for me, frustration is when I'm still calm. <laughs> anger is when I explode. Because I've gotten past the frustration point and I'm still like the boiling point over. I have two teenagers, so I kind of think of it that way. I I think of it that way. Frustration, you can still see an end, I think. Like you can still see a pathway. Like even though you're frustrated, you've still got that motivation to keep going. I think anger is that that stopping point where you you can't see anything but red. Yeah. Here, here's what I find funny, because I ask this question a lot, like what, what causes anger? What causes frustration? Well, the challenge is none of us have had an emotional education, me included, yeah. right? Like this is 20 years of study on my own, mm-hmm. right? I didn't have emotionally superb role models. You know, I wasn't gifted, um, you know, naturally gifted into being emotionally intelligent. In fact, like I said, my emotions ran amok for my my 20 my my teens my 20s and into my 30s but but I think the the challenge is is we need to learn to understand what our emotions mean mm-hmm. and what what triggers those emotions and then what kind of conscious choice we can make about our emotions so let me tell you the difference between anger and frustration cuz how many of us me included have been frustrated but shown it as anger And here's the problem. In the workplace, people judge your behavior. They don't ask you actually how you're feeling. If they see Grace stomping down the hall, they will attribute, oh, she's angry. But they actually won't be brave enough to say, hey, Grace, I see you stomping down the hall. The story I'm telling myself is that you're angry. Is that correct? No one actually is brave enough to have those conversations. We just stay away from Grace as she's, you know, stomping down the hallway. But the difference between anger and frustration, ladies, and I always ask this question because these are two emotions that we feel very regularly, is when you are frustrated, it's unmet expectations. Yeah. When you are angry, it is about an injustice or an unfairness. And so when we think about, um, you know, let's say someone at work um, gives you an unrealistic expectation and you're frustrated, but you stomp down the hallway, the people that you work with are going to assume, and, and psychologists call this attribution bias, they're going to assume that you are angry when in fact you are just frustrated. And if I knew I was frustrated, what could I do about it? Well, I might have a calm conversation with my boss and say, hey, you just gave me this deadline. I'm I'm really uh, stressed about it. I don't think it's realistic. 
can we negotiate that if I get this done, this other project will have to be put on hold till next week? I can ha- I can make a better conscious choice if I know what am I feeling, what triggered that feeling, and what can I do about it that is a constructive way to handle it. But if I just don't know and I'm just stomping down the hallway and I think I'm angry, then I might make a different choice on what to do about it. So it's so important that we press pause, mm-hmm. figure out what we're feeling. And then where did that feeling come from? And two of the questions I ask most in the book, and the book, by the way, is kind of a workbook. Halfway through the book, is there's 11 worksheets that I get people to work through. And the, the one question I ask is, what are you feeling? And what is that feeling telling you about you? So mm-hmm. Maria, Grace, if I can put you on the spot, in this moment, what are you feeling? One word feeling. And don't say fine, because fine is not. <laughs> no, that's not a feeling. I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm intrigued, and I, I never put an explanation behind feelings. That's weird. Like I didn't really differentiate between uh, my differentiation. Like I said to you, between frustration and anger, wasn't because I defined them in my head. It's just frustration is me. I can still talk to you about something. I'm still trying to be rational. Anger, I'm like, you know. T-Rex like but what if I told you Maria that you could still be angry and rational and that's you being in the driver's seat of your emotion it's you naming it to tame it yeah and it's 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 being the observer of yourself and looking almost like from above almost like you're a director in your own film going wow that actress Maria she's really angry And what as the director can I do to make sure she makes a decision that's a good decision so that one moment in time doesn't define her forever? Mm -hmm. I love it. I love that. No, I am definitely intrigued right now. I feel like you've kind of opened up this dialogue of of explanation for emotions that I hadn't really considered before. I don't know. What about you, Grace? Yeah, for me, I think uh, curious. And I, when I was um, prepping for the for our podcast today, I love that you have on your website. You have a lot of tools and resources, but you also have the the checklist of how are you feeling today, and you have the poster, the picture of all the different emotions. Um, and there are a lot there, but I loved how you you talk about doing that daily check in. And as you mentioned, you know, finding out where are you right now and whether you do it in the morning or whether you do it again at lunchtime, in the evening, like checking in on a regular basis where you are. Because I think for a lot of us, and maybe even for a lot of leaders, we don't want to ask how people's emotions are because we don't want to, we don't know how to respond or we don't want this can of worms to open and we don't know how to deal with that. Um, Bit of fear, right? Like yeah. we, we, so, and this kind of leads into the next question because, you know, there is a lot of fear around sharing your emotions, even just in the workplace. Like you mentioned, if I see Grace, I'm scared to be the one that like, should I be asking her anything? I'm not sure. Um, but also sharing my own emotions, you know, as women in particular, especially whether we're entrepreneurs or as leaders um, in career, being a woman, I find a lot of times sharing your emotion can have a backlash effect. There, yeah. we're, we're told this negative talk um, in society that you know women can't be too emotional, and so there's a fear around sharing too much emotion. I mean, I'm as I mentioned, like anyone who's listening who's met me before knows that I can cry 
I'm a very emotional person as well. And I can cry and, and <laughs> pretty much at the drop of a hat. But what can we do to kind of start implementing strategies for ourselves so that we can become emotionally strong leaders without fearing showing too much or too little? Well, uh, okay, lots to unpack there. Um, the first thing I want to say is what Grace talked about. So that poster that you're talking about that's on our website, which is a free download for anyone who wants yeah. to um, download it. But I put that right now, it's above my desk. And every day I look at that and at least three times a day I check in with how I'm feeling. But on every meeting I have with my team, we start with a one-word feeling check-in. And the reason I do that as a leader is then I know where everyone's at. I can, you know, I don't need to know the story about why they're feeling what they're feeling in that moment, but we just go around the room, one word feeling. And if anyone says anything alarming, I can circle back with them offline and say, you know, how can I support you? I encourage people to do that because as a leader, if someone is feeling like this morning, I just had a, a conversation before this podcast with one of my staff and she's going on vacation and she's really stressed because we've got a lot of deliverables going. And the first thing she said, I'm feeling really anxious. I'm, I'm stressed about going away. And I said, you're allowed to go on vacation. You're allowed to take a break. But let's let, let's unpack that a little bit. Right. Like, what are you stressed about? What are you concerned about? How can I support you? I think what you said, Grace, is is many people as leaders, we we fear asking people how they're feeling because we don't want to open Pandora's box and yeah. find out what's lurking inside. And they and and many managers don't know how to deal with and they tend to fear their employees' emotions. But here's the thing that I want to tell everyone. You do not need to be anyone's emotional therapist, nor are you qualified to be anyone's yeah. emotional therapist. But what you can do is be brave to talk about emotions and not skirt around the issue because how people feel at work affects how they perform yeah. at work. Yeah. And unless I'm brave enough to say, hey, I noticed, you know, uh, you know, you seem really down, you know, the story I'm telling myself is you're, you're upset or, you know, what's going on? Then they, you can ask them, how can I support you? You don't need to know the answers nor solve their problem. The biggest mistake that I have to remind leaders is you are teachers. And let me explain this. As a university professor, I've been doing this for 25 years. I know the answers to my students' test. But if I give it to them, they ain't learning. Mm -hmm. And so as a leader... The worst thing I can do is solve my employees' problems because they are not learning and growing. And in fact, in the heat of the pandemic, I was I was um, asked by our, our the Vancouver Sun. I did, they asked me to do an interview, a, a video interview, and a and an article interview on that. I was saying that what everyone else wasn't saying, which was. I actually saw a silver lining with the pandemic. I'm not dismissing the lost lives, the lost jobs, the isolation, um, all of the bad things that happened with the pandemic. But the silver lining was it gave these young people a chance to be emotionally resilient. And here's why. The younger generation, Gen Zs, are lower at problem solving, lower at stress tolerance, and lower at independence than any generation before us. Why? Because they grew up with phones. Mm -hmm. and helicopter parents. 
And the great thing about the pandemic is Google or their parents didn't know how to live through a pandemic. The students had to figure it out themselves. That's how you become emotionally resilient is you, you, you do not give your employees the answers. You teach them how to be bigger and stronger and to come up and feel empowered to come up with their own solutions. You know, teaching during the pandemic, these kids had to learn how to, how do I set up my room? I'm no longer, the teacher's no longer babysitting me to, yeah. to make sure I'm not on my phone. How do I set up my room so that I can pay attention for the three hour class? When I'm not in front of the teacher, they had to figure out cognitive strategies on how they were going to learn during this challenging time. Well, it's the same thing for our employees. We don't have to give them the answers. You just as a leader need to be brave enough to say, what are you feeling? And what is that feeling telling you about you? And how can I support you? It sounds easy when you say it. (laughs) (laughs) It does. It it, it sounds like, okay, I could do that, right? Um, uh, You know, it it gives hope that it can be done for sure. I also think, sorry, just going, circling back, there's also a lot in terms of you have to be a leader or in an environment or in a safe space to be able to do that. And so there, for a lot of women who are maybe, you know, at, that that lead on that leadership team where they're in the minority may not feel that comfortable sharing those emotions so how would you how can we shift that environment so that it is becoming a safer space well i think why people are are so afraid to how to deal with or fear emo- people's emotions let's be honest they have good reason to be scared i mean after all few of us have ever learned how to handle our emotions let alone handle them at work right yeah. many of us have not been taught how to tend to our feelings or those of others so you know one of the best questions is isn't it better for me to just sweep them under the rug and pretend that they they don't exist no The answer is an unequivocal no. Instead of spending time and money dealing with inappropriate behaviors and disrespectful communication stemming from the emotional issues in the workplace, we got to get to the heart of the issues and deal with feelings, uh, your feelings and the feelings of your people head on. Mm -hmm. And so what the whole book is about is to learn the emotional skills and mental strategies to be stronger and more intelligent than your feelings. So I want to be really clear what I mean by um, I don't mean when I say stronger than your feelings to strong. I'm not talking about strong arming your feelings or having a steely resolve not to feel. It simply means that you've got to work to acknowledge, understand and accept that you feel things and that you identify that those feelings contain wisdom and you use that information to guide your behaviors when confronted with an emotional trigger that can lead to hasty reactions or undisciplined behavior. It's just being aware of what am I feeling and how can I use that information? Just like ad agencies, let's take that. They use consumer behavior as data to sucker us into buying their products and service. Why can't we use our emotions as data? to make good strategic choices. Yeah, I like that. I do like that. And I think too, you know, if you think of yourself in the workplace and you do feel like there's an emotion that you need to reflect on or even share with others, I, I, 
I don't know, I would actually encourage if there is one person that starts that process, it usually leads to other people feeling more safe. So maybe you need to be the trailblazer uh, if you don't see that environment and you want to encourage that kind of environment, you might need to be the person to kind of start the process. Um, I mean, I know- Marie, I'll just interrupt you and say, in order to build trust, you have to risk first. Yeah. So you, if you, you do need to be that trailblazer and that takes bravery for sure. But again, it's not, I can still be emotional and feel things and share things, but I do. This is about balance. You had said earlier, uh, one of the things I wanted to unpack with you is you had talked about, you know, oversharing versus undersharing. And I just wrote an article that's coming out in the European business review uh, slowly. It's about balance. It's about finding out when do I, when do I share and when do I, you know, when am I oversharing or when am I undersharing? When am I the, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's those extremes, you know, when am I the cold shoulder or when am I the shoulder to cry on? It's, 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 it's really, and people always want to know, especially now that the book's out, they want to know the quick fix on on (laughs) how did you become emotionally intelligent? Well, it depends. It depends on you. It depends on your own emotional makeup, what you need to work on. So Maria, if you were to read the book, your emotional makeup is going to be very different than Grace. Mm-hmm. And the strategies that work for you are not going to work for Grace. So for instance, for me, I'm a very emotionally expressive person. I'm on the dark side, as I call it, which means I'm too emotionally expressive, <laughs> which means I share too much. So as a leader, I need to sort of hold back and set up some boundaries. Grace if, if, if you had said is a little bit more, off camera, you had said she's a little bit more stoic. And um, so maybe for Grace, I might say, share a little bit more, yeah. right? And so each person, depending on what your emotional makeup is, which tends to stem from your childhood and upbringing, you know, I grew up in a very, you know, I was the, the, the kid that that would have meltdowns, right? And, and, and again, I write in the book that my whole life, I was told that that was a weakness. What was a weakness was that I wasn't in control of my emotions, not that I felt things deeply. I wasn't in control of them. I let them run havoc. And listen, let's be honest. We were, why are we so afraid of emotions in the workplace when we know tending to not tending them hurts us, limits us, our teams, our organizations? Because we're afraid of the consequences, right? We're afraid, we're frightened that by sharing our feelings, we'll be, be be perceived as weak. One of the reasons I named the book, The Emotionally Strong Leader, is you can be emotional and strong, right? They're not mutually exclusive. But we're also nervous that if we share our emotions, they could be used against us. We, we, We fear conflict. We fear rejection. We fear resentment. And what if tending to our emotions makes things even worse? What if our disclosure has a ripple effect and impacts our future? those fears and others that others like them stop us in our tracks and keeps us silent. But let's be honest, why are we afraid of those consequences? Because we don't know how to tend to our emotions in the workplace or anywhere, for in, mm-hmm. frankly, in a desire, um, in, in, a, in a matter that achieves the results we desire. So let's be honest, think about it. What happens if you're upset with a situation at work? Well, if I don't have the tools to express my anger truthfully and constructively, and that I, I fear that expressing my emotion about the situation, I might act out in a way that can harm me or an alien, uh, alienate others, then that aftermath is scary. And so I, I share, I don't want to share or deal with my emotions in the workplace because I don't have the tools or the confidence to use those tools to affect the change I want. 
So in the book, I teach people not only to be in the driver's seat of their emotions, but to have confidence in that. And so we go through all 15 different emotional intelligent competencies, which are the skills, figuring out where you land. Are you high? Are you low? Are you in the middle? Or are you on the dark side where you're too much of something? And then once you know your emotional makeup, you can then do something about it to figure out, to, to get the change that you want. We, we need to debunk the myth that emotions are bad and expressing them, your feeling is a sign of weakness. Emotions are real. And just yeah. like Clint is spaghetti Western, they can be good, bad, and ugly, right? Yeah. <laughs> but actually you say that, good bad and ugly good and bad emotions but they're they're not they're not bad emotions and they're not good emotions they're just emotions and i think we have to get rid of those labels that are associated with being angry as a bad emotion so it's a bad thing as and really recognizing whether it's anger frustration or whatever those negative emotions that we label and working out how best to deal with them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Absolutely. It's a bit of a light bulb <laughs> moment there. Sorry. <laughs> what I say, I say it in the book. Feelings are not, are, first of all, are not facts. They're not good or bad, right or wrong. They're just feelings. They're an emotional reaction to a trigger, whether that's a person, situation, or a thing. They're not always factual, but they're incredibly personal. And it's hard to be an objective bystander of your own personal feelings, but that's the trick. How can I feel something deeply, but then take that observer, take that vantage point and be the observer of myself and say, hey, that Carolyn girl, she's really angry. I wonder what that's about and what can she do to make a conscious choice that one moment in time won't define her for the rest of her life. Yeah. Yeah. I, so pretty much everybody needs to read your book, I think, is what the conclusion <laughs> of this conversation is. I think is. so. I think so. <laughs> because I'm, you know, I'm in a house, like I said, with two teens, a husband, like I'm pretty sure all four of us need to read it. Um, and I encourage you to read it with your family, to be oh, honest. Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, and in fact, in chapter seven, uh, I ask uh, the reader to take them through themselves through an, an inventory and to assess yourself on all 15 different emotional skills and then you like for instance chances are you and your husband might be opposite in certain areas right (laughs) right and and that actually can be a great thing you can actually be each other's support you know I'm always attracted to people like one of my employees who's half my age she's my independence advisor um, because people are always surprised because I run my own company I'm financially independent why my big my lowest competency and i'm really open about it in the book is independence and and which means i care too much about what people think well Mm -hmm. where does that come from well i have a very overbearing mother um and um she now lives with me i could write a book on that Um, (laughs) uh but but growing up she never kind of taught me to stand on my own two feet and so now as a woman you know i'm 51 years old as, as a 51 year old woman I question my decisions. I need a lot of reassurance. In fact, my employees tell me I pay them to reassure me, which is probably 100% correct. <laughs> um, so I need a lot of atta girls um, to, to when, when I don't, when I actually don't need it. I yeah. feel like I need it, but I don't. And so my work 
the work that I'm working on is how do I be how do I stop caring about what people think? And let me tell you, ladies, writing a book for the world to judge was really yeah. scary, especially for me. But I can be brave and afraid at the same time. And that's what I did. I was afraid to write this book as I lied there at three in the morning writing me all by myself. But I knew I had a message to share with the world because emotional intelligence has changed my life personally and professionally. On a personal side, um, I've lost 125 pounds. Because oh, wow. I, stopped, I stopped eating my and, and stuffing my emotions down. I started dealing with them. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm i just fascinated. So I know. Okay. I see. I told you this was going to be a good Intrigued. one. Intrigued. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we, we got to get to our rapid fire question. So I, I want to kind of close with this, you know, we, we talked a little bit about mental health and, and COVID and the impact that everything's kind of had on us. And I'd love to know what's next for you and, and really how we can take the learnings that you're giving now and start to adapt them for that mental health piece too. Yeah. Well, the whole book, in fact, it's interesting because I, as I was writing the book, I actually wrote a book and a half because I started writing a different book. And then halfway through the book, I realized, wait, I, I've started the wrong book. And so this, this series is going to be a trilogy. I'm on book. This is book one. And this book is about yourself. And so that's why it's called An Inside Out Journey to Transformational Leadership. It is about looking at you first. Yeah. Before you can lead anyone else, you got to know who you are, because who you are is how you lead. Right. So yeah. who am I and how is my emotional makeup? hurting or helping my leadership. So I said to you, I struggle with independence. How that's hurting my leadership is I care too much about what people think. On the other side, where I'm strong in, but almost too strong in, is I'm really flexible, which mm -hmm. means, which is not a good combination between low independence and high flexibility. Why? Because I'm adaptable. If one employee wants sushi, I'll like, okay, sure, let's do sushi. And if one employee wants uh, Italian, I'll like, okay, let's do Italian. So I flip flop. Mm. Sometimes as a leader, I need to make the tough decisions and to say, no, we're having Greek yeah. and, and too bad if you don't like it. And I've got to make those tough decisions. But if I care too much about what people think, I will flip flop. So my mm. work is I need to be more stringent. And I need to care less about what people think. That's the work I have to do. And what everyone needs to do is to read this book, figure out what is the work that I need to do to be my best self as a leader. Book number two, Maria, which is what you asked me, what am I mm -hmm. doing next? That's that's the next journey, which is how do you lead your teams? And that's the book that I started that wow. I'm going to go back to. And that's really about, you talked about like the pandemic and making sure we're not burning out and, you know, offline, we had talked a little bit about that yeah. and how do we support ourselves. I'd say the easiest thing to do to start supporting yourself is every day and as simple as it sounds, do a one word feeling check in and pay attention to, I would do it at least three times a day, pay attention to how you're feeling and 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 really start to pay attention to what triggered that feeling. So I actually get my clients to take a sheet of paper and take four columns. In the first column, write down what you're feeling. In the second column, write down what triggered that feeling. In the third column, I want you to write down what it, what, what's going to be your response to that feeling. And in the fourth column, I want you to write down what your impact, what the impact of that response will be. So let's just take a quick example. If your boss gives you an unrealistic deadline, that's the trigger. 
and I'm pissed, I'm angry, that's the emotion. I have two choices. I can choose a high EQ response or a low EQ response. A high EQ response would be, I'm going to negotiate with my boss about the unrealistic deadline and try to push off something else later on, right? I can negotiate. The impact might be, they might not be happy with, with you know, my answer and they want might want both things done on, on, on the same day, but they'll respect me. A low EQ response would be screw you, boss. <laughs> and, and, and the impact could be I could lose my job or in support, you know, for insubordination. So, wow. so that creating space and figuring out what a high EQ response and a low EQ response is will give will make it very clear, give me the wisdom on what I need to do. Because I will have written out my story both ways, and then I can make a conscious choice. So you've got to press pause and make a conscious choice. So just Um, to clarify, those that don't know what EQ is, can you explain that? Okay, so an EQ and EI are used interchangeably, uh, but they really shouldn't be. EQ is your emotional quotient. So just like your cognitive, uh, your IQ, your cognitive intelligence, we have a number. Well, in EQ, you also have a number, uh, a level of emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is just using our emotions uh, to to make good decisions, to act appropriately, using the information our emotions uh, provide us to make good decisions. And that's being able to understand, express and manage your emotions to develop and maintain good social relationships and to think clearly and solve problems under pressure. The quotient is how we measure our emotional intelligence, just like your IQ measures, your cognitive intelligence, your level of reasoning, your problem solving. And in the book, in chapter seven, I get people to do their own assessment. You might not come up with a number, but you will come up with, hey, what am I high in? What am I low in? And then you can kind of get assess- an assessment of what is your emotional makeup. And for me, ladies, that changed my my world. Mm-hmm. Once I knew what I was good at, and it's hard to take a good, honest look at yourself and and to to and and the second step of the book, which is chapter eight, is I then get people to ask others. Yeah. Is what is how I see myself the way you see me? So you want to ask your your kids and your husband, you know, here's how I see myself. How do you see me? I guarantee you'll be have blind spots. Oh, absolutely. We did this actually. Sorry, I'm going to reminisce a bit here, but we did this as a family. My sister was doing her degree and um, gave us all a questionnaire to grade how we thought certain skills were. And I remember I put down that I was a good decision maker, and the rest of the family just burst into laughter because they were going like you were the worst decision maker there that they knew like at the time so it was it is funny how you assume your self-perception yeah flawed absolutely and that's because the stories we tell ourselves our life experience maybe somebody said something along the way to you that made you think that you were good or bad at something that not might not be true and so why step two in the book because it's a six-step model i say first connect with yourself then consult with others and yeah. then once you've got all that data, then clarify your focus. Yeah. I love that. Sorry, I love we can, that. this could go on. I know. I know. <laughs> so fun. But I just, I do have to say one thing. Offline, you said, if you're ever thinking of writing, of writing a book, don't. But you, you're writing a second book already. I know. I know. I know. Well, it's, uh, all I meant by that is it's not for the faint of heart. Writing yes. a book is definitely um, a solitude, uh, a, a solitary uh, journey. Um, but I will tell you, the response the book has gotten so far made it worth all the 
the blood, sweat and tears um, <laughs> to see that people are reaching out to me from all over the world saying that this book has already started to change their lives. And, yeah. and we actually even have a book club series um, that uh, we're, we're, we're trying to work with organizations so that they we kind of read the book together and um, do the activities together. So that keeps everyone accountable and, and on track and becoming more emotionally strong. I love that. Love so that might be something that our book clubbers would see online. Yeah. It's something definitely that I think would benefit so many of our community members. So thank you for diving into all of that. You have left us with, wow, so much to think about. And obviously we're going to be diving into your book. <laughs> I know it's something that it sounds truly transformative and I'm, I'm thrilled that you were able to put that out for people. Thank so you. We're not done yet, though. We do want to dive into some rapid fire questions. So now we're going to turn the tables a little bit. We've we've heard all about your expertise, but now we kind of want to just get a few more tidbits about who you are as Carolyn. Um, so these are our rapid fire questions. Super easy. And uh, we're going to let Grace kick them off. Oh, what should I go with? Okay. What would be your theme song? Uh, theme song or a song that gets you going, gets you just uplifts you and uh, mood changing. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna age myself here. I am woman, right? Uh, wasn't yes! that? Yes, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, that is a good one. <laughs> All right, my turn. In the quiet moments, where does your mind wander to? Hmm. Um, again, I think this goes back to my, my, uh, challenges, which is I have anxiety, right? I worry about what people think. So I have to work really hard at, to, to control my independence and try to be more, uh, cause I lack independence. So I care and it's been hard, right? Writing, like I said, writing a book has really been hard yeah. because the world's going to judge it uh, for good or for bad. So just, Letting that aside and when I'm in my moments trying to correct that little inner critic that, you know what, doesn't matter. It's it's not the critic that counts. It's mm -hmm. the person in the arena, right? And I'm the person in the arena that's been brave enough to put my ideas out there. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a guilty pleasure. Uh Shopping, I spend way <laughs> too much on clothes. I'm big fashion, uh, and in fact, this last uh, weekend, I got to do a big photo shoot for for the book, and oh my god, I felt like a got to wear all the fancy designer clothes. So love yeah. it, nice. I better um, sell a lot of books. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you are wearing a very nice yellow blazer. It's very bright and joyful. So, just so our listeners know. Um, Okay. What is your word for this year? Um, it's actually a theme. It's saying, um, it's not a word, so it's a, a phrase. It's saying uh, no to say yes. And what Ooh. that means is um, I tend to try to do everything. Yeah. And I want to leave space for the things that matter. So I have started to say no to certain things, which is I'm sure a lot of um, female um, mm -hmm. yeah. and leaders can relate to is uh, what can I say no to so I leave space to 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 do my genius and so I don't have to always do absolutely everything so saying no to say yes oh I like that a lot I've written yeah. that down thank you <laughs> okay you do the last yeah. last one 
Um, what are you watching right now? You know what? It's interesting. I don't watch a lot of television. Um, and, you know, it was interesting as writing the book, um, I was encouraged not to read other people's books because I just kind of trust my own judgment. Again, this goes back to independence, right? Yeah. Trust that my ideas um, are, I, I don't need other I, people's ideas yeah, yeah, yeah. to come up with my own. So one of the things I think the challenge that I share with my students a lot is because they're always scrolling on the internet. Um, I think we've lost the, the the space to just you know walk in nature and just be alone with our thoughts yeah. and and expand and what was great about writing this book is I really did try to turn off the internet and just be alone in my thoughts so that's why I wrote most of the book at three in the morning in bed with my by myself um, so that I could just put my ideas out there for the world and rather than using other people's ideas and I think we're losing a little bit innovation because of that I think these young people are constantly looking at other people's ideas mm -hmm. rather than leaving space to create their own. I so agree actually have not, I don't have, I'm not really watching anything right now other than planning my next book. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. You know what? At least you touched on ways that you still, you know, for a lot of people, TV is kind of like that unplug moment. So yeah. for a lot of other people, it's nature. Being for me, outside. it's music, yeah. right? Yeah. There's, so it's that unplug time, which I'm yeah. glad you have. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And shopping also. I have a and shopping. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, therapy always helps. Oh <laughs> Buy my, my book so I, you can support my addiction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Carolyn. This was oh, an absolutely such a fun conversation and um, so much knowledge in the background of it all. So um we want to thank you for joining us. We want all our listeners as well. We hope that this brought you some inspiration and, you know, some tidbits of what you can do to really bring that expertise into your own life. Uh, if this episode really triggered something for you and you think there's another woman in your life that it can benefit, please feel free to share. Revolution Her is all about, you know, supporting women and youth worldwide. So please, the more we can help each other, we can continue to grow. So Carolyn, thanks for being here today. And to everyone else, thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you again very soon. Bye, Bye everyone. Thanks for having me.